Hello, and welcome to the Stanford University Press Podcast. My name is Chris Gondak, and in this first episode, I'll be speaking with Jody Heyman, the co-author, along with Allison Earl, of Raising the Global Floor, Dismantling the Myth that We Can't Afford Good Working Conditions for Everyone. Jody Heyman is founding director of the Institute for Health and Social Policy at McGill University. An internationally renowned researcher on public policy and equity, Heyman has authored more than 150 publications, including 10 books. Her work has been featured widely on CNN, Good Morning America, Fox News, and NPR, among other leading national and international media. Jody Hyman, thanks so much for taking time to talk to Stanford University Press today. It's a pleasure to speak with you. So it's pretty common to hear that companies can't improve working conditions because the increase in cost would lead to a competitive disadvantage. When you went to examine the statistics, what did you find? So we looked at what happens when countries require companies to have certain basic conditions, require all companies to provide paid sick leave or paid annual leave or parental leave for new mothers and fathers. Does the country become less competitive, something that's frequently supposed or argued as a way to recommend against doing anything about ensuring that we all have decent conditions? What we found, in fact, was there's absolutely no relationship between countries ensuring that all of their citizens have these basic rights and competitiveness. So just to say briefly how we did that, the World Economic Forum, filled with business leaders, ranks the world's countries and says, which ones are the most competitive? We said, great. We're going to look at those countries that are consistently successful competitors. They're competitive over a 10-year period. And for example, if you take sick leave, Every single one of the top competitive countries that ask this of all the companies in their country are, have paid sick leave for all of their citizens except the United States. Now, it's not just sick leave. If you look at annual leave or vacation, again, all companies in all countries that are competitive countries, according to business rankings, guarantee this except the United States. What about maternity leave? You see the same pattern. Only countries without it, the United States and Australia, which is now past it to ensure they do. The list goes on. But it's very clear that we could be ensuring in the United States what all the other competitive countries do, that our companies now, some of whom offer these basic guarantees and others of which don't, could afford to all do it and still compete. Let's talk about the first claim you examine, uh, whether improved working conditions lead to higher unemployment. So is there a relationship between improved working conditions and higher unemployment? Again, a very important question, and one of the central goals of our study was to really ask rigorously in this book, can we do it? It's always been this dilemma. Do we have to make a difficult choice between decent working conditions for us all and jobs in the first place? That's what people have argued, but nobody's had the evidence to look at it. So in raising the global floor for the very first time, we brought together information on what's going on in terms of labor policies in 190 out of 192 UN countries. That allowed us then to look at all of them and say, what are their employment rates? Are the ones that are making sure that men and women have a decent day at work and a decent day at home, are, those, are they doing worse in terms of having jobs? The good news is, in fact, they're not at all. If you look at the relationship between a series of basic protections and
and employment for all of these countries around the world, there's no relationship. Even if you just focus on the top economies, for example, the economies in the OECD, and you say, okay, what about the ones that are in the top half? They have consistently over a decade had lower unemployment. What do you find? Again, they overwhelmingly have a series of basic protections that are not getting in the way of low unemployment. So take sick leave. It's going to matter to us all as H1N1 and the flu season heats up. We should care that people who are sick stay home, get better themselves, and don't infect others. Well, among the low unemployment countries, they were all able to offer paid sick leave. The only ones who don't are the United States and Korea. But if you look at others with consistently low unemployment, they not only offer paid sick leave, but the overwhelming majority of them offer it for a month or more. Now, in the chapter that we just talked about, uh, you spent some time looking at Norway and Barbados as case studies. So what are they doing that made them interesting to look at? We thought it was really important to find out not only that countries can make sure that you can take a few days off to be with your children or be with your aging parents, that you can take some time off when you're sick or one of your loved ones is sick, that you can be there to nurture a newborn or a newly adopted child, but also to figure out how they are doing it. And so we looked at a couple countries in depth, and we purposely look in raising the global floor at these very different countries, Norway, Barbados, uh, ice and fire, hardly could pick two more different. But what do you find? In fact, they do have a series of common elements, and I'll just briefly mention five. First, they both set a floor of decent labor conditions. They particularly set labor conditions in place that protect workers while increasing productivity. Again, paid sick leave. How to do it? Protects their health, but healthier workers are more productive. Not spreading illness in the workplace, more productive. Ensuring that people, when they're there, are well enough to be 100% there. Importantly, more productive paid parental leave, keeping that expertise in your workforce, making sure that people come back to the same employer with that knowledge they have, crucial for productivity. So both countries do that. Second thing they do is they invest in education. So they both invest substantially in post-secondary education to make sure they have a highly educated workforce and they invest in early childhood care and education something that launches people onto career trajectories where they do well in school and will be productive workers when they're adults and something that helps the productivity of their parents. Third thing they do is when people lose jobs, they make sure to retrain them. And finally, they're strategic in terms of what sectors they develop. But in neither of these cases, and in fact in none of the countries we look at around the world that are successful competitors, and have low unemployment, is their strategy to do this at the cost of lowering the working conditions. Another chapter, you look at whether labor laws really make any sort of difference in the quality of the workers' lives. Why do people make that claim? A question people ask when we start talking about labor laws around the world is they say, okay, well, some of these countries implement it, 
but not all of the countries do. They're not all, is it equally good, the amount of implementation you see in Vietnam and in Houston? And if it's not, well, why do the laws even make a difference? And there are a few important things we learned about that. The first is that no country was doing superbly well without laws. The United States is a poster child for this. They've long claimed that even in the absence of laws, there's so much voluntary participation of companies that that makes up for it. Unfortunately, that's far from the case. So just looking again at sick leave as one of the examples, only about half of middle-class Americans can count on paid sick leave. Three-quarters of low-income Americans can't count on it. If you look at maternity leave or paternity leave, it's a teeny fraction that can count on paid leave. In contrast, our European competitors, they are guaranteeing it for all of their citizens. So the, we found very clearly that the no legislation didn't work. But what about countries that may have less resources for enforcement? Does having a law on the books matter? And again, we found the answer was yes. We did in-depth studies with workers and countries as diverse as Botswana, Russia, Vietnam. And in all cases, while implementation was imperfect, as it is in each of our countries, even the affluent ones, having a law on the books increased the likelihood that firms would offer these benefits, increased the likelihood that workers could make use of them. I'm getting a sense from your answers that the United States still has some catching up to do in some of these issues. So where would the U.S. come out compared to, say, other OECD countries in terms of competitiveness and also in terms of the protections they offer their workers? Unfortunately, the United States is dead last. And it comes out, I think, most strikingly in, in two ways in the book. The book is filled with maps. And in these maps, a country is blank if it offers no policy. And in map after map, you look at what protections exist around the world. And one of the few completely blank spaces is the United States of America time and time again. Second way it comes out is raising the global floor also presents the data very clearly on low unemployment countries and highly competitive countries. And the United States is indeed one of the lower unemployment countries, not the lowest, and one of the more competitive countries. But it is nearly alone in the extent to which its strategy has been to achieve that with no protection. Countries have a choice. They can be competitive and leave working men and women behind that's one way to compete. It's one way to have jobs. But what the data show overwhelmingly is they can also compete incredibly successfully while making sure that we all have high quality of life. And I think what it demonstrates is that the United States really could choose that path. One last note on that, we're in the United States, we're in the midst of, of a health care debate. Right now, the United States is people I think are increasingly becoming familiar, spends twice what many countries do on health insurance. A big part of that is the problem with what we do around health insurance, but another big part of that 
is the fact that we don't promote health in other ways. There are inexpensive ways, and inexpensive ways include things like making sure that the person caring for the elderly in the nursing home has sick leave and doesn't spread infectious diseases to those they're caring for, that children don't go to school sick as they so often do now and increase the spread of disease there three to fourfold, likewise at the workplace. So apart from the healthcare debate, are there any other initiatives in the U.S. that you're watching that may affect the overall conditions for the American worker? The areas that I'm watching most, I think, are those that bring the greatest costs and burdens to most Americans right now. And those are around paid sick leave and paid parental leave. If you look at the most common causes of job loss, which we have over a 15-year period in the United States, you find three things. The birth of a child, the illness of a child, and the illness of the working woman or man themselves. Not only are these top causes for job loss, but they are also top causes for home loss. When you're sick, the loss of income from working and the loss of insurance combined leads many people to lose their home and, and winds many families into bankruptcy. These are readily solvable problems. There is legislation under consideration right now in each of these areas. And I hope the kind of evidence that raising the global floor brings to bear about how feasible it is for us to do something about this and make Americans better off in a way that matters in all times, but is particularly important in the current economy, uh, will come to fruition. Jody Hyman, the co-author, along with Allison Earle, of Raising the Global Floor, Dismantling the Myth that We Can't Afford Good Working Conditions for Everyone. Thanks for talking to Stanford University Press today. Thanks for talking with me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. For more information about this book and our other titles, please visit our website at www.sup.org. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stanford University Press podcast. Copyright 2009, Stanford University Press. All rights reserved.